You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle. This is Kyle Worley. No, it's not. Goes. No, it's not. Jin Wilkin and JT English. The reason I'm laughing is because all of us were hitting our coffee cups like we were chugging before the recording started. Like all three of us are like, like draining these coffee cups. Our episode. Episode. Boom. Get that espresso. Yeah, whatever like, it means necessary. Yes. We hey, I just- saw something. I saw something so sweet on Twitter and it made me think of you guys. Um, and you never see sweet things on Twitter. So I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, someone had said, you know what a formula for a good podcast is? It's when the co-hosts just genuinely like each other. And they're like, because you can't fake that. No. And I was like, that's us. Like, that's I genuinely us. like you guys. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know if that means we have a good podcast, but it makes it a good podcast for me. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that is sweet. Uh, and uh, With a little coffee sh- thrown in. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's true. I think, uh, you know, we've had some real difficulties this morning recording-wise, but we've done it together. Yeah, uh, we've done it together. And that has been the joy of looking at each other going, can you hear me? Can you hear me right now? I can't hear. I, I'm texting you. We're mouthing. I'm and then texting, at one point we hear could you. hear Jen, but she was faking it. She was like. No, that was like, you. Uh-huh. That wasn't me. I think that was Jen. That was. That was you. Yeah. I think we all know who the punk is on, on this just well, I'm, just, I'm just glad that none of that is recorded because we were frustrated and we spoke as people who were frustrated. Uh, and we'll leave that uh-huh. to the imagination. Of the I audience. didn't. I didn't do that. Uh, yeah, you didn't, JT. Actually, JT didn't. And afterwards he said, I- I'm praying for you both. Uh, so, uh, and we covered your prayers, uh, JT. Thank you, brother. Well, today we are talking about God the Father. We are in this season covering the doctrine of God. But before we jump in to what will be a really uh, a stretch of episodes on incommunicable and communicable attributes, we are focusing in on kind of the doctrine of God proper, specifically speaking to God's nature. So we're doing uh, a few episodes. We did God is one uh, last episode. And now in light of the oneness of the one God, we are going to consider the distinction of persons, the three persons of the Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And today we are looking at who is God, God, the father. Now at the end of the last episode, I said, Hey, we didn't have time. We went too long. I thought that was a really helpful episode, but we weren't able to cover this question or distinction in language between ad intra and add extra, or what is sometimes referred to as the imminent and ontological trinity and the economic trinity. Now, JT, whenever I whenever I say the ontological trinity and the economic trinity, what am I not saying? What am I not saying when I make this distinction of imminent and economic? Maybe another way to categorize this is, is thinking about the categories of what does God do and who God is. Is so so add intra being who add intra being who God is, add extra being what God does. Yeah, and maybe I I would just invite our listeners to think about primarily the way we think about who God is is through the lens of what God has done. I mean, all we have access to in Genesis to Revelation, his his Bible, what he has communicated to us, and what he's done in history, all of that is God add extra what God has done. That's all we have access to. 
this is who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is through Genesis and all the way through to Re- uh, Revelation. And so as we think about who God is ad extra, one of the challenges in systematic theology is thinking about, well, then who is God? Is God Father, Son, and Spirit in himself in eternity past? Or is that just who he's revealed himself to be? And so God ad extra and God ad intra are these, it's it's really challenging conversation of what does it mean for us to look at who God is in redemptive history and what kind of correlation or what kind of relationship does that have to who God is in himself from eternity past? So Okay. <clears throat> Hang on. I think we need like a yes, really practical way to think about this. So like for example, and, and maybe this won't work, but let me just see if I can try it. So there's what I know about you as a right. pastor, like there's what you do, um, but then there's also who you are. And so are you saying that the question that we're faced with is what can we know about who God is based on what we know about what God has done? Yes. So that, that's exactly it, is is getting to know somebody in a personal relationship, whether that's a person like us as friends, or getting to know God through what he's done in history. What we're trying to say is that there is basically a one-to-one correlation between who we see God in Scripture, like acting, like doing stuff, and who he is eternally. Because God isn't just the sum of his actions. It's not like that God just started being at Genesis and stops being at the end of Revelation. We're saying, Mm -hmm. this is who God is eternally. He is Father. He is Son. And he is Spirit. It's not just that he does things that are fatherly or that he does things that are like a son or that he does things that are spiritual. We're saying, this is who he is. And this is, again, it's important that we take this practical gen. So thanks for helping us do that. But one of the historic challenges for Christian theologians is what is the relationship between what we see God doing, and that's all we have access to. All we have access to is God ad extra or God in his actions is ultimately what that means. And we're saying there is a Mm -hmm. one-to-one correlation between who God is in his actions to who God is in himself, and that's what ad intra is. Mm-hmm. And and one of the differences between looking at JT's actions in the world and who JT is, is that JT's actions in the world will not be a perfect expression of who JT is because JT is not perfect. Whereas God's Wait a mm-hmm. act- I didn't agree to this. Well, newsflash. <laughs> yeah, let's bring Macy on real quick and ask yeah, her the same question. You're my kids. Give me a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the way, the way that it's different is that God's activity in the world is a perfect depiction right. of who God is because God is unfailing in his mm-hmm. character. He's perfect mm-hmm. in his character and he's perfect in his ability to testify to his character and all of the methods of revelation that he has given to us, uh, his, his activity in the world, the revelation in scripture, That's the revelation right. of the natural order. So, so then as image bearers, you could argue that the more integrated we are between what we do and who we are, the more we effectively bear the image of God. Yes? No? I think that's definitely true. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say, yeah. So I I, I actually was working on this. I'm about to do a series on personhood for Mosaic Church. And I was thinking about this with image bearing. But to your, to your point, Jen, um, yes, the more um, closely we are aligned to the perfect image 
of God in Christ Jesus as image bearers, the greater that we are a fulfillment of a testimony that is intrinsic to all of us by nature, by the creative stamp Mm -hmm. of being image bearers. So everyone in the world is an image bearer. It's Mm -hmm. that our testimony might be more or less accurate depending on who we find ourselves in principle alignment with. That's good. If people are still like, I'm not sure I understand what they're talking about yet. Let me see if I can say it just real simply. In the Bible, we have a revelation of who God is, but more specifically, we have a revelation of what God is doing. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, and He is creating a world. He is saving a world and redeeming them uh, holistically through the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we're saying is, is that is true. So therefore, if we're going to try to understand what God is like, that's good, and we can do that in the Bible. But who God is, we're saying there is this one-to-one correlation. So it isn't just that God acts like a father. It's that God is father. It's not just that God acts like a son. Mm -hmm. It's that there Mm -hmm. is God the son. It's not just that God acts like a spirit. It's that there is God the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit. And those three persons aren't just acting redemptively in history. It's that we can have fellowship with them, and this is the key word, eternally. God has been eternally a father and eternally a son and eternally a spirit. And that helps us mm-hmm. understand how do we fellowship with these three persons of the Godhead. Yeah, that's good. And and today we're looking at the first person of the Godhead, mm-hmm. uh, God the Father. And when we refer to God the Father as the first person of the Godhead, we're not saying that he is uh, better than the rest, right? Well, as a dad, that's exactly what I'm saying. Dad is better oh, than God. the rest. <laughs> Okay. No, yeah, of course not. We are we are headed towards choppy water. <laughs> does he have a does he have a little foam finger, like a number one foam number finger one on his throne? He's sitting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number one dad. Oh my no, gosh. We're, we're not, yeah, so we're definitely cringy. not saying that. We're, we are saying that there is an order. And we continue to discuss this and we will as as these episodes come up. What does it mean for is the sun second place? Is the is the spirit third place? Yeah. No, we're not saying that. But we are saying that in the eternal relationship of the Godhead, that God the Father is the first, not in terms of hierarchy, but the first in terms of order. The way that the Latin fathers thought about this is that he is the paternitas. That's the paternity. The, he is the the head or the uh, another way they would say it is he is the fountain or the font of divinity. And so he isn't the first in terms of like most important. He's the first in terms of order. And Jesus highlights this for us is that he is praying to his father. He is mm-hmm. recognizing the paternity or the filial relationship that he has, the father-son relationship that he has with his father in heaven. Yep. Yep. Now, and God the Father, uh, when we think about God the Father, uh, it's easy for us to think, okay, well, God the Father uh, has eternally existed. Why well, is I say it's easy for us to think. It's yeah, not so simple. easy for us to consider the eternal existence. But when uh, I've been asked routinely, well, who created God? Well, no one created God. God is uncreated. God the Father is, uh, to use the language that the church has used, eternally unbegotten which means there's never been a time in which God has not existed as God. He's eternal, uh, forever back and forever forward. He has always been, will always be, is always God. So when we think about the Father as the fount of divinity or as the paternitas, there isn't a place that God the Father came from. He didn't come from a different galaxy or a different universe. You know, it's not a Marvel movie. Uh, he is, uh, to even use some of the... Uh, uh, and this wasn't something that was 
necessarily totally unique to merely Christian theology. I was, uh, I'm reading a book right now as a refresher on Greek philosophy. And, and by and large, all of the Greek philosophers, but most notably Aristotle, believe in the original existence of an unmoved mover. That would be Aristotle's language of a uncaused cause, um, of a prime uh, person, somebody who is irreducible uh, and essential to the existence of all other things. And so from the beginning, we're finding out that before the beginning, God was there. Before there was anything else, there was God, right? I mean, is that something that... Do you think that that's easy for people to take for granted, or do you think that's a question that many people deal with? Well, I think it's a question many people forget to ask, I guess is the way that I would say it. That's a good phrase. Um, I think we have, well, I mean, I think we have a tendency to think that things really get cooking when we show up, Mm. you know, or when... um, when we have that creation narrative, you know, and we we don't have much creative imagination to think back before the beginning, Um, which is obviously understandable since we don't have a lot of information on before the beginning. But just the fact that God exists before the beginning, that exists outside of time, and, you know, we'll talk about this more when we talk about his eternality, um, is something that I think most people um, may lack a natural curiosity about, uh, and they don't necessarily see that there are good implications from that Mm -hmm. that impact them in practical ways. Yeah, I think one of the, again, we're one of the things we're trying to do, I think, in these three or four episodes around who God is and his personal attributes and specifically Father, Son, and Spirit. And and Kyle, I think you're bringing bringing up a category that we could talk, we could do a season on. We should talk about Aristotle's category of the unmoved mover. I'd be here for that. But we often use language in our prayers. God, come move among us. God, mm-hmm. come, come. We want a movement here. And I actually think that's, I'm, I, mm-hmm. when people pray that, I'm not like going to stop them and say, don't do that. Cause I, I know what they mean mm-hmm. by that. But we actually mean, God, come work here in your right. immovable ways. Come be your immovable mm-hmm. self among us. And again, that doesn't mm-hmm. sound as good in a prayer or mm-hmm. a worship song. <laughs> but I think that's exactly what Christian theology is giving us is God is immovable in his yep. ad extra mm-hmm. and ad intra self. This is who God is and it's what he does. And that means, and I, I wish mm-hmm. I had like a better way to say this. So here my kind of, you know, way to say this is God never changes. He is eternally Father. He is eternally Son, and He is eternally Spirit. So when we say God come move here, that can communicate unintentionally movability, that God is changing, and we need Him to come be something here that we need specifically. And that's not what we're saying. What we mean to say is, is, God, we know who you are. We know that you've always been this way. You are the rock that is immovable. Would you come be with us and move among us in ways that are immovable? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think in the movement language, we can unintentionally communicate uh, m- mutability within God, like come move here, yeah. like shake stuff up. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying mm-hmm. in this ad intra category is that God's eternally father. And that means he won't ever not be that. He will always be a father to the sons mm-hmm. and daughters that he's adopted through Christ. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. 
access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. And we're going to dig into this in every episode that we do here on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But one of the important things when we're thinking about the distinction of persons is how they relate to one another. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the Son and the Spirit, mm-hmm. we'll, we're going to introduce some words to you. But the, the the operative phrase when we're thinking about the Father's relationship to the Son and the Spirit is that the Father is eternally unbegotten. When we say that, JT, we're saying that in distinction from what? that the son is eternally begotten. So how, in what way is this language trying to communicate the appropriate relations between the father and the son specifically? The father is eternally unbegotten. Mm -hmm. The son is eternally begotten. Why that distinction? Why is that important? Yeah, and and we're going to continue to cover this in future episodes. I don't want to tease too much out, but we're, we're really trying to say that there is a distinct relationship that the father has to the son and the spirit that the son does not have with the spirit. Like they are different. They are not the exact same. And the thing that makes them not the exact same is what we see them doing in redemptive history, or to use again, technical terminology, add extra, or to use very simple terminology, what they do. And the father in redemptive history, or in the story of the Bible, he's never sent. And that makes him different than the son. Yes. The fact that the Father is never sent makes him not only different in redemptive history, but it makes him different in ontology or ad intra or, again, simply who he is in himself. The Father is never sent. And so this this even goes back to some of our co- conversations around – and I'm not trying to like – this isn't a gotcha moment. This isn't me being a troll. But some of our, our conversations around First and Second Samuel, some of our conversations in Exodus is like – who is it that we see in the burning bush? Who is it that is in the tabernacle? Mm-hmm. It cannot be the father. 
because God the Father is eternally unsent. He's unbegotten. Now, it could be God the Son, and it could be God the Holy Spirit, either in pre-incarnate forms, because God the Father, being eternally unsent, is the one who sends eternally the Son, and the one who sends with the Son in a procession the Holy Spirit. So, last thing I'll say is language of like, the Father was in the room, or the Father died on the cross— those are things that the Bible would say an unequivocal no to because the Father is eternally unsent. So then what I'm hearing is, so what we will sometimes hear when we hear unbegotten or begotten is unborn yep. or born. Because we know that like, you know, in the King James, it was and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, yep. you know, we call them the begats. Um, and so what you're saying is in modern parlance, we should understand unbegotten and eternally, be- eternally unbegotten and eternally begotten to mean eternally unsent That's right. and eternally sent. That's right. That's the language that we have in the New Testament. So what the early church does to, to, to help us understand these distinctions of Father, Son, and Spirit is they use that word eternally to distinguish between the persons in themselves in action or ad extra and who they are eternally. So we're so again, to simplify, when we look at the Bible, is the Father ever sent? No. No. The answer is no. Therefore, we would say ad intra, that means that is who he eternally is. He has never been sent in history. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he can't be sent in himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we think about the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one thing that I want to introduce in this episode, which we may not get into in great detail here or in the upcoming episodes, but I do think is important, is the uh, the church uh, has historically tried to communicate the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with a Greek word perichoresis. Mm-hmm. Perichoresis. This is the, the the mutual relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You think about somebody like Francis Turretin, one of the reformed scholastics who said, although remaining distinct, yet they, the three persons, are never separated from each other, but always coexist. Wherever one is, there the other also really is. And so when we're thinking about the distinction of persons, that this idea of perichoresis is how, it's a way of trying to capture uh, what we talked about in the last episode. If God is one, how is God one in the distinction of persons in their activity in the world? Well, it's because, like Jesus says, this isn't Francis Turretin, this is Jesus in John 10, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So the relationship that the Son has with the Father is one who's saying, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Yep. Uh, uh, this is why it's so important, which we'll get into in the next episode, that in the early church, they're stressing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is homoousios, of the same substance as the Father, not of a similar substance. And so those things which are in the Father are also in the Son. Their relationship together is perichoretic, meaning there is a mutual indwelling of one and the other. They cannot be divided from the, the Father while not being the the Son cannot be divided from the Son. The Son, while not being the Father, cannot be divided from the Father. They share one will, one mind, right? Not divided, but distinguished. 
So like that's Not, the difference yes, here yes. is that there is an indivisible God who is one and he is eternally father, son, and spirit, but we distinguish between the father, son, and spirit. And maybe some of the ways, I'm not sure if you want to get us here yet, Kyle, but like this is real practical. Like this gets down into the daily Christian life. This isn't just how many angels can, you know, dance on the head of a pin. This gets real practical for us of like, what does it mean for God to be father eternally? One of the things that Mike Reeves talks about in his book, again, if, if Mike, if you're getting, you, you're getting like some kickbacks. We're not getting any, we talk about this book all the time here. <laughs> But one of the most helpful insights in that book is that God is not eternally creator. Yep. Because there is a time in history where God creates. That's an ad extra act. But there has never been a time that God has not been father. Yeah. He has eternally, never began, never ends, been a father to the son. The son didn't begin being son at some point. He's eternally been a son or been a child of the father, been a, been a, 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 an heir of the father given life in himself, John 5, 26. And for us as Christians, I think that helps us. I mean, we, we could get into like daddy wounds here, but we don't need to, but all of us have parents and none of us, not one of us, regardless of how perfect or how good or how much we love our parents. None of us had a perfect parent. Mm-hmm. Not one of us. Like Kyle, I know your relationship with your dad. It's it's just one of those stories that I just love. Like, I don't think I've ever heard you say a word about your mm-hmm. father that was not honoring and wasn't caring, that wasn't just trying to say like, my dad, you mm-hmm. lift your dad up. And that's incredible. And this isn't meant to diminish your dad, but he's he's been imperfect, right? No doubt. Mm-hmm. But not imperfect in the way that like mm-hmm. it's not it's it's not a matter of expectations. You would just say like, no. my dad didn't do this, refilled with this, mm-hmm. and that's true of me as a father. It's true of you as a father, Kyle. It's true of mothers. Yeah. Like we fail as parents, and what mm-hmm. we can say is that God the Father has been an eternally perfect father to God the Son, and our category for judging fatherhood or parenthood isn't what our parents were because we all fail. And we fail as people, but there is an eternally perfect father who's been an eternally perfect father to God, the son. And part of this redemptive language is, is that you and I, regardless of what our relationship is to our parents, are invited into this adoption that is not like our current filial relationship to our fathers or to our mothers, but is a perfect relationship to a father that says, I love you. Mm-hmm. I made you, I adore you, I delight mm-hmm. in you. I've created you and I made you in a, in time and in place in your mother's womb. And I am your father. I will never cease to be your father. I will never uh, not delight in you being a son or a daughter of mine. And I'm not going anywhere. We've had moms and dads who have left. We've had moms and dads who have said, you aren't good enough. We've had moms and dads who have said, I'm gonna go take care mm-hmm. of my own stuff over here. Our heavenly father through Christ says, I've seen all of you, I've made you, and I'm not going anywhere. So the fatherhood of God isn't just this distant mm-hmm. category that's like, okay, the father is different than the son. It's this, and we'll talk about God, the son, and how this matters for us in adoption. But God, the father says, you're mine, and I'm not going anywhere because of what Christ has done. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, it could have been, God could have chosen to disclose the, his triune nature in different terms. Like it could have been, you know, God right. the 
CEO and God the CFO. I mean, these are bad examples, but it didn't have to be in in, in a familial terminology or in a relational, you know, uh, terminology. And so I do think at the same time that we can be limited in our understanding of God the Father because of our own human experience, um, it does communicate something that's immediately recognizable to us. And like, even as we get into the conversation about adoption, um, I just was, I was reading recently, I've been doing, spending some time in, in John's epistles, as you're probably going to hear me talk about, because it's top of mind for me. But in, in first John three, John says, no one born of God. So you get this, you know, we're not begotten in the way that right. we speak of the son being begotten of the father, but there is a begottenness to us as the children of God, right? It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And that word seed is, it's sperma. It means like his his spiritual DNA becomes our spiritual DNA. And that's a, that's a more powerful idea than simply... Um, you'll be kind of like him. It's no, no, no. You, your, your coat. You will be coded to be conformed to his image uh, in a way that um, that is stronger than just oh, I just really want to imitate him. Yeah, that's good. And you're in John's epistles right now. I'm in Romans, but in Romans eight. You know, we think about for all who are led by the Spirit of God, which we'll be getting to here in a couple episodes, are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery Mm -hmm. to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so part of what you were saying, JT, and part of what you were just saying, Jen, is that the good news that God is Father is good news because it is not a relation that he only shares with the Son. It's a relationship that through the Son, he extends to all who make their home in the Son. Mm -hmm. And the God of the Bible, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here, um, the God of the Bible, if you look at the ancient gods, the gods of the ancient world, the gods that would have been worshipped and present in the lives of Israel's neighbors and the church in the New Testament's neighbors and fellow citizens, I'm thinking particularly in the Roman Empire at this time, the gods of those empires and worldviews and stories were distinguished by force, not fellowship. But the God of the Bible is distinguished by fellowship, not force. That's not dimensional mitigate the power of God. It's merely to say that the ancient gods were usually notable because they could execute force on behalf of a subservient people. Whereas the God of the Bible reveals himself as father and fulfills that revelation by inviting folks, not merely into following the power of his force, but the presence of his fellowship. And that is very, very different. This is a God mm, that's, who oh welcomes us. That was so punchy. I don't Say even that again. Remember what I said. Okay, I'm writing a book on this. <laughs> power of his force. God, the power of his yeah, force. Yeah, God welcomes his people not merely to sub- be subservient to the power of his force, but to enjoy the presence of his fellowship. That's good, Kyle. That's really good. Well, thank you. Well, and I, that's high that's praise really from you, Jen, because you're usually the one that gets the wows. <laughs> that's Fair just because you're scared of me. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> So uh, the way the way that Bobbing talks about this is he says God is father mm-hmm. in the true and complete sense of the term. And so what he's saying is is the lens of fatherhood should not be viewed through the lens of what we have uh relationally with our earthly parents, but God is the father in the truest sense of the term, the one who brings us in, makes us, adopts us and invites us as Kyle just so I think well well put into fellowship, Mm -hmm. like into relationship, into this relationship where we don't have to, 
maybe another way to say it is like, I think maybe this is my own, of course it is. It's my own personal experience, but I think lots of us have Mm. felt this. I'm a dad, but I'm not dad in the complete sense of the term. I'm still a son Mm -hmm. and I'm a son of my father who is in heaven. And Mm -hmm. my primary relationship with him isn't, okay, now I've got to be dad like you, but it's that I always get to be an adopted son. I don't Mm -hmm. have to, you know, put on this weight of fatherhood in my relationship with God. I just get to be a son and I get to know that my father in heaven delights in me because of the work Mm -hmm. of his son, Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think also it's worth mentioning that he does more than delight in us. He disciplines us. And that's what Hebrews 12 tells us. You know, it says, Mm -hmm. have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Um, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so... The, the fatherhood of God. And, you know, we we, cr- we get a little nervous at the idea of, of the discipline piece because we all have an earthly reference yep. point for it. And that, I think that's always the challenge for us when we think about the fatherhood of God is that He's better than the best moments you've ever had with your earthly father. Mm-hmm. And He is nothing like the, the moments in which your earthly father failed you. That's exactly right. And maybe to continue our little uh, w- word analogy here. Kyle talked really well about force and fellowship. God Mm. disciplines because he delights. His discipline is not force. His discipline is fellowship. That's exactly right. Mm, That's good. And, you know, uh, one of you mentioned earlier, there are any number of um, descriptors that God could have chosen to use to refer to the first person of the Godhead. Certainly we know that God, the three persons of the Godhead who are the one God, um, are judge, holy, good, loving, merciful. There are so many things. Mm-hmm. And yet one of the things I think the New Testament is, um, I don't want to, surprise is not the right word, but part of the surprise of the progressive revelation of scripture is not merely that God is the divine judge who is going to acquit the people who have sinned, but it's that he is not just going to acquit them and forgive them. He is going to invite them into life with him. And that is, um, I think sometimes when we think about salvation, Mm -hmm. we, we, we think about salvation or, uh, the good news of salvation as primarily acquittal for its own sake or acquittal for our eternal destiny. And yet the Bible is imagining that we will view uh, Mm -hmm. uh, acquittal, our forgiveness, as acquittal and forgiveness are for the purposes of us entering into life with God in a very pronounced way and enjoying the blessings of his presence. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we talk about forgiveness a lot more than we talk about fellowship. And yet forgiveness is granted for the purpose of fellowship. Mm -hmm. It's 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 where God is taking us. It's how God is taking us back into His presence. Mm-hmm. And I think that fellowship is for it's a purposeful fellowship. It's not just so we can hang out and feel love mm-hmm. for for each other. It is that we would grow in wisdom. And I think about how the the wisdom of mm-hmm. our heavenly Father is a wisdom that we never outgrow. And one of the saddest things to me about our culture is that we don't understand the wisdom of age. Uh, just. B- in someone who by virtue of years has has seen patterns repeat longer than we have and has more of a natural intuition about, oh, that's a good idea, or no, I wouldn't do that. Mm. And so the, you transpose that on an eternal father 
right? Um, and he's mm. not, he doesn't just have the wisdom of age. He has the wisdom of the ages and he's our father. We have a father, we have a father to child relationship with him. And so um, when we're, when we're invited into that familial fellowship with him, it's not just for the purpose of, of receiving a cosmic hug. It is because we then have access to the wisdom of the ages, which, which grows us more and more into the likeness of that father. That's good. That's good. Next week, we're going to get to explore exactly why, how we can enter into this fellowship with God because we don't enter into fellowship with God the Father by our own merits or through our own nature, but we enter into fellowship with the Father through God the Son, who is eternally begotten of the Father. Listen, we hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Go leave us a review. Drop a question in your review, and we'll take a look at those questions as we do our end-of-season Q&A episodes. If you want more of this, or you want to be able to watch the videos of these episodes, or you want them ad-free, then you can go over to patreon.com slash trainingthechurch, and you can find episodes over there. You can find the video recordings of these episodes, if that's something you would enjoy. Uh, And don't miss our sister podcast, The Family Discipleship podcast with Adam Griffin, Chelsea Griffin, and Cassie Bryant. They have some great guests on this season or the brand new show Confronting Christianity co-hosted by yours truly and Rebecca McLaughlin. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of God the Son. We hope you enjoy the discussion today. Grace and peace.